Praise, praise the Lord. As the kids are dismissed, let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. I'll tell you what, this morning, Romans chapter 5 is packed with truth. I don't know if there is a more densely packed passage of Scripture than Romans chapter 5, verses 12, particularly through verse number 21. I'd like to speak to you this morning about the reign of grace. The reign of grace. I'm going to skip our theme verse today for sake of time and get right into it. What I want you to see is a couple of key concepts. First of all, the first key concept that we're going to see today is this idea of reigning. Well, you know what it means to reign, but sometimes it just does us good to provide a bit of a definition in order to get the thinking established. When we speak of reigning, we're speaking of dominion, authority, and power. How many of you understand there are a lot of competing powers at work in the world today? I mean, it's just there's power plays, there's power struggles, and there is a battle for the control of mankind. The battle is real. It's a battle in the mind, it's a battle of the heart, and it's a battle of the soul. Well, that really reminds us of the second key theme we're going to see, and that is this. From the creation of the world, God's dominion has been challenged by God's creation. If you boil down the story of both the angels and the story of humanity. It all comes down to this. God is sovereign and God will rule. Do you believe that? That he is a sovereign God. That he, his reign may be challenged, but it will never be overthrown. But his reign was challenged. It was challenged when the, one of the most beautiful angels, known as Lucifer, became known as the adversary. In fact, that's what Satan means. It means the one who is against. He said he was not content with his place as an angelic being. God gave to the angels a type of free will, similar but not exactly the same as the free will that he gave humans. God gave, and this we could do a whole Bible study on this. I'm just giving you the cliff notes. God gave the, the angels a measure of free will. Now, with that free will, Lucifer, the exalted cherub, decided that he would be, he wanted first place. It was not enough for him to submit to the rule and reign of God, but he said, I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. And some of you have studied that. Well, you know that there was an angelic rebellion. And we believe that about a third of the angels were drawn away into this rebellion, and they have become the fallen angels that we know of, or also referred to as demons or devils in the New Testament. Well, when that happened, Lucifer, Satan, saw the good creation that God had made. That creation consisted of the angels. The angels were the first ones created. Then God created the heavens and the earth. And in the earth, in six days, in six literal days, God created every living thing that inhabits the earth. 
And on the sixth day, God created what was his crowning achievement, if you, for lack of a better term, his special creation when he created man. And he created woman. In the creation of man and woman, we see beings created in the image of God. And if you know the story in the book of Genesis, you know that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was not just good. It was very good. But Lucifer found his place in the garden. And every single thing that God has created for good, Satan has been on a mission from the beginning to take what is good and to turn it against God. Satan tempted. Think of the very first temptation to Adam and Eve, because that's what this passage is going to speak of. The temptation to Adam and Eve was not about eating a piece of fruit, but it was about what would happen when they disobeyed. What would happen when they ate of that fruit? If you know the story in the book of Genesis, he said to Eve, God does not want you to eat the fruit because when you do, your eyes will be opened and you will be like who? You will be like God. For the second time, the rule and reign of the sovereign Lord was challenged. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They disobeyed. But rather than becoming, they, they became like God in the sense of knowing good and evil. But they soon discovered that their, their self-deity was a poor excuse for the true and sovereign Lord. And they came under condemnation. And since then, the war, the battle has been on this earth over who will reign who will rule? Will it be the kingdom of God? The reign of grace, as we'll see today? Or will it be the kingdom of darkness? Now, as the old preacher said, I've read the back of the book, and I know who wins at the end. But the fact remains, the struggle is here. And the question is not who will win the struggle, but the question will be, under which reign will men and women find themselves? Under whose rule? Well, with that being said, I want you to see three movements in this passage today. And you'll see these in your notes this morning. In verses 12 through 14, you're going to see humanity under the reign of death. In verses 15 through 17, we will see the ability, the opportunity to receive the reign of life. And finally, in verses 18 through 21, we'll have the ability to enjoy the reign of grace. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that this passage shows us the story from beginning to end, the true narrative, the true history for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that if there are any that do not know you as their savior, both in, in this room or that will later or currently watching this message, God, I pray you to open their eyes that you have a beautiful and wonderful kingdom that you've invited each of us into. I pray for Christians this morning to live like children of the true kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse number 12, Romans 5, please. Romans 5, 12. 
Wherefore, as by, can you say it with me? As by one man. If you like to take notes in your Bible, you can circle that. You can draw a line or you can write it in your notes. This is the entrance of sin. That one man has a name and his name is, do you know? It is Adam. This is Adam. Wherefore, this is the history of each and every one of us. As by one man, sin entered. You, no, you notice here the entrance of sin. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon who? All men. For that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not, do you remember this word from a few weeks ago? Imputed. That word means counted. Sin is not counted or calculated. It's not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Why is Moses being introduced here? Yeah, the law. If you, if you draw lines or whatever, you can circle law and you go to Moses. Moses was given the law. This is a historical record. You have creation. You have the fall of man. You have a couple of thousand years of history. You have Moses being given the law, the nation of Israel. Then you come to Christ. Then you come to the New Testament church. That's the, the quick snapshot of true human history. Moses, even over them, do you see verse 14, death reigned, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, let me paraphrase, the same way that Adam did. They didn't sin the same way that Adam did, but they still sinned. They had not sinned after the solitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Back up a little bit. You notice we already mentioned, first of all, the entrance of sin. When Adam sinned, that brought, that brought the principle of sin into the human race, into the world. Interesting question. One of the, uh, one of the folks actually asked me this week. Well, they, they didn't ask me. They're witnessing to a friend of theirs. And the friend asked the question, where did sin come from? That's a really good question, wouldn't you agree? I mean, a really good question. People have asked that question over and over again. Now, there's several different theological ways to answer that. But as the best I understand, God is not the author of sin. God is not the creator of sin. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So what is sin? Is sin, and what I'd like to just very briefly make a comment on this morning is this. Sin is not so much an action as it is a principle. Sin is not so much an individual action, but it is a principle. It is a condition that manifests itself in action. For instance, so where did sin originate? Sin originated with the, I believe, 
and again, theologians will split hairs over this. So, but I'm going to give you my best, my best stab at it. Sin originated with the offer of free will to creation. Sin originated with the offer of free will to creation. An example. In eternity past, what was there? I hope you got, you got to have your thinking caps on this morning, right? In eternity past, what was there? One word. Go ahead. What was it? God. There was holiness. There was perfection. There was love. God is love. Eternity past has the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the heart of God is loving. God can be loved without creation, can he not? That's what makes the Christian message so unique. A Muslim God, the Muslim God, is not a trinity. He cannot, that, that false God cannot be eternally loving. Why? Because there's no object of love. Any, 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 any non-Trinitarian view of who God is, God cannot be eternally loved, but in the trinity, God is eternally loved. He doesn't need us. But because our God is a loving God, love, his love desires more, even more outward expression. And so God said, let us make man in our image. God creates an object to love. God creates beings to love. Both the angels and humanity there's a different relationship, but God has created a spiritual family for himself. But by doing that, C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this, by creating beings that would have the opportunity to freely love, if you can freely love, you can only freely love if you have the option to freely reject. And in that act of freedom that God granted, came the ability to sin. So sin, sin appears with the creation of free moral agents. Sin appears when Satan says, I will replace God. And then sin appears, it enters the human realm when Adam and Eve have the same desire to say, it's, I don't want to love God, I want to replace God. That is the cardinal and central sin of all of humanity. That is that when I say sin is a principle, that is the principle. It's not so much that, well, you do a lot of lying, or you, you have a lot of lust. Or you have, all of those are manifestations of the key principle that sin is my desire to replace God. Sin entered into the world, and now not only the entrance of sin, but notice the extent of sin. The extent of sin. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon how many? All. For that all have sinned. The extent of the sin problem, what is broken in the world, is that it has passed. It has permeated. It has filled. Someone described it as a, uh, as a if you were to watch some kind of noxious gas be allowed into a building. And what does it do? It spreads and it reaches and it affects every part. It just permeates the atmosphere. And so all sinned and death passed upon all men. We have been cursed with death. We live in a strange day 
where our society almost is, well, not almost, our society is trying to explain away death. How many of you are familiar with people saying things like this? Well, death is just a part of life. My friend, death is not a part of life. Death is the great, great enemy of life. Life was created to be eternal. Death is the enemy. We rage against death. We grieve over death. We grieve as Jesus did at Lazarus' tomb, as he saw the mourners for death. Jesus, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, in the presence of death and weeping and sorrow, Jesus wept. Death is the enemy. Death was not God's plan, but because of the entrance of sin, death passed upon all. And the effect of sin is that death reigned. Death reigned. There is no escape. There is no way out. And that statement, death is just a part of life, is a human attempt to, it is a human attempt to escape the pain and reality that I have a date with my creator. That this body will give out one day. And it will happen at a time that I am uncertain of. It will happen at a time that I am unsure of. Just a quick wake-up call for all of us today, and it's important for there to be preaching like this sometimes, that there is an appointment that you and I have with death, and it could be today. That the, the, the spiritual condition of your soul matters because death is in charge right now over this mortal body. Death reigned. You notice in the passage that death reigned from Adam to Moses. The law couldn't defeat death. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Does this mean they had a big excuse? Oh, well, I didn't have the law. No, the idea is sin was still present, but without the law, it couldn't really be quantified. Sin was still there in operation, but it was the law that counted it. It was the law that quantified it. It was the law that proved it. Because someone could say, well, what have I really done? How, what do you mean I'm, I'm a sinful person? What do you mean sin has affected my life? Well, lest there be any question, God said, well, let me reveal a perfect and a holy law to you. And when the law was given, it just became more, more certain and more sure. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, there's another interesting thing in this verse. And we've seen the entrance of sin, the extent of sin, the effect of sin. And I want you to see this now, the better Adam. Do you see this last statement? We had not sinned, them that had not sinned after the similitude. In other words, we didn't sin the same way Adam did. But then it says regarding Adam, who is the, what's the word? This is important now. What's the word? He's the figure. He's the, he's the, the foreshadowing. He's the illustration of him that was. Of him that was to come. You see in, in Christian writings and music, the first Adam and the second Adam. That there was a first Adam that all of mankind sinned in. 
But now we are about to be introduced to the second Adam, the greater representative, the one who, who was to come, the one who was to bring a greater rule and a greater reign in contrast to the reign of sin and death. And Adam was the figure of him. Now I want you to notice something else that is, again, very important in this. How many of you have ever heard someone say or ask the question, well, they might say this. They might say, well, I just don't think it's fair. Adam sinned, and now I'm stuck with the consequences. How many of you ever heard that or had a, somebody? Okay, so it's an important point. How does this work? Well, there's two ways of understanding it. That, that Jesus, Adam and Jesus, are both representative heads of humanity. There's a bit of Greek here that I want to share with you. I'm not an expert, but I've, I, I read on this. Notice this back in verse number 12. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all what? Have sin. Now here's how I used to interpret that verse. Here's how I used to interpret it. The first glance I would say this, well look, Adam sinned, we get the sin nature, and then each of us, then what do we do? We sin. But that's not actually the structure of the grammar. This is, for those of you that like to do a little extra study, all of the verbs in this all of the verbs in this sentence here, and Paul was an educated man. God used his, his intellectual ability to, to give us these scriptures. All of these are what are known in the Greek as aorist tense. That's A-O-R-I-S-T, the aorist tense. And if you study it, it always refers to a singular past event that happened. Not an on, this is not speaking of an ongoing action. This is not, well, all these people, they just keep sinning, they just keep sinning. It's as if the interpretation, a more accurate interpretation of this verse than what I, how I used to interpret it would be this. When Adam sinned, all of humanity sinned. When it says, for all have sinned, the question is when. Following the tense of the verb, it all happened in the past at the point this scripture was written. The point is this. Theologically, and in reality, as God views it, you say, well, I don't view it that way. doesn't matter. We're just being revealed how God views it. We're just, it's being revealed to us. God says, when Adam sinned, every human is, shares in the guilt of the sin that Adam committed. Now, there's two ways, and I put them in your notes, that this has been understood. It's referred to sometimes as federal headship. And I'm getting a little wonky here on this, but I, th I think it's worth it. You can study it more. It's known as representative or federal headship. Other people understand it as natural or seminal headship. I think both have merit. We all understand that there are representatives that act on our behalf whether we like it or not. Would you agree with that? Let me give you a very simple illustration. This is just a natural principle in the world. Very simply put. If a woman is with child, if a woman is with child, 
and she chooses to abuse her body. Let's say drink, drink alcohol. We know that because of that action of that woman, she is the representative not just for the life and well-being of her own body, but she is the representative for the life and well-being of her child. And that child is born into this world. Is it fair? They're born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Is it fair? Did they do anything? It's not a question of fair. It's just a question of reality. There is a principle of representation that one person acts on behalf of the race. Also, if there is one person that acted our, as our representative for condemnation, then the good news is that means there can also be one person who acts on our behalf for salvation. The other view is this idea of natural. That we are, as humans, my dad shared this in his Sunday school class today, that there are not multiple races, there is only one human race. And in ancient times, there's a different view of the nature of, hu of humanity than we think of in our very modern viewpoint. And that is this, that in some sense genetically, in some sense spiritually, all human souls were in Adam. All people who would ever live were in our great, 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 super great grandfather, Adam. And so when, and that is how the nature of sin is passed on to us. Because we are of the same essence, we are of the same substance as the one who committed that first sin. We are by nature the children of wrath, as the scriptures teach. Again, I am not here to answer every objection to that. Because the fact is, each of us are fallible human beings. But, the, but I am here to submit to the God who cannot lie, who says, this is the condition that you found yourself in. It was the condition that your father Abraham chose to place you in. Not Abraham. Your father Adam and your mother Eve. They chose to put you in this position, and here you are. But God is under no obligation to rescue us. But he does. Because he says that while Adam is one representative head, Jesus is the greater one. He is now the head of humanity. By the way, this is why he must, he must, he must have been born of a, you know, born of a what? Born of a virgin. Because he cannot be the child of Adam. He cannot be the son of sinful Adam, but at the same time, he must be human. So as son of God and as son of man, Jesus fully embodies both natures and he becomes the true and perfect head of humanity, inviting us into his life. And that's what we see here, that we can receive the reign of life. Pick up verse number 15. Verse number 15 now. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Does the, the syntax there confuse anybody else? Not also, but the same as is basically what, what he's saying here. The idea is this. These things are different but similar. They are different but similar. Not as the offense. In a different way, 
so is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, who is that? The offense of who? Adam. If through Adam's offense, many be what? Dead. Now, many is really how many? It's all of us. It's all of us. If through the offense of one, many be dead, much more. Remember that word from last week? We're talking about much more. It appears a couple more times. Much more in a similar but different, in a similar but so much greater way, if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. There are many people today that question the deity of Jesus. They believe he could be a man, but they don't believe he could be God. You know, in the early church, it was just the opposite. Believe it or not, in the early church, the Gnostics, they said, well, Jesus was some kind of divine being, but he really couldn't be a man. They struggled with that understanding, and there's a whole heresy around that. First John is written to combat that Gnostic heresy. But the fact is this, Paul with authority and the Apostle John with authority, they teach us this, that as one man, as one human brought us into bondage and death, it would be one human man who was unlike any other human man because he was the divine son, the perfect one. He, in a similar way as Adam, represented us for death. Jesus represents us for life. Jesus represents us for life. And there are competing consequences at play here. The consequences of Adam are death. The consequences of what Jesus did are life. And we see that the grace of God is greater than the guilt of our sin. It's one of my favorite hymns. One of my favorite hymns of all is Grace Greater. I think it's number 820 in your songbook. Don't quote me on that. But I love, I love, no, oh, there they go. There they go. They're going to check. I might go ahead, go ahead. I'm probably wrong. In the old days, I knew, in the old hymn books, I could just rattle. It's not. 821. What is, what is 820? I don't know. Well, amen. Amen. God is so good. And grace is greater than our sin. I love that. And there's a verse in there that just fires me up every, every time. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I'm not going to say what verse it is because you'll all check me. You'll fact check me. Okay. Dark is a stain that we cannot hide. And in desperation, the songwriter says, what can avail to wash it away? And then in celebration, look, look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Sing that chorus, marvelous grace, infinite grace. I love that hymn because grace is greater than our guilt. As sure and as certain as is your destiny of death, 
as sure and certain as that is, is the hope of your resurrection, is the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Why? Because grace can overcome death. Because grace can overcome guilt. Because Jesus, our second Adam, is greater than Adam. Grace is greater than guilt. And can I share this to you? Sadly, not all Christians agree with this, but I believe with all my heart, according to the scriptures, that this free gift, this offer is to all. It is to everyone. That there is not a person, just as death was for that many, that all, so the gift of life is available to all. You say, well, doesn't the Bible talk about election and all of that? Buckle up your seatbelts for the time we get to Romans chapter 9, because we're going to take that head on. So get ready. I'm looking forward to it. That was just a commercial for months ahead. At this rate, we'll be in the Romans 9 like, you know, a year from now. But we'll get there. The offer is to all. If many be dead, and we know that it's a reference to everyone, much more the grace of God. That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Acts chapter 17, my dad quoted it in the, in the Bible study this morning, that at the times of this in ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The message of salvation is to all. It's abounded to many. And we are able to receive the reign of life. There's another much more in there. Another much more. Let me find where it is. Well, there's one in verse 17. If by man's, one man's offense, death reigned by one. Oh yeah, that, this is the one. Much more. He offers to all, but it's only, it's only for those who will what? Receive. Romans, I mean, John chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You say, what about election? Election is for all those who are willing to receive. If you will receive Christ, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. If you will receive Christ, you are elected to justification. You are elected to sanctification. You are chosen. You are predestined in him before the foundation of the world to receive the rights of salvation. It's not unconditional. It's on the condition of faith. It's on the condition of faith in response to the preaching of the word, the hearing of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power, the right to be called the sons of God. And now we remember what we can all agree on whether you agree or disagree with that little parenthetical theology I just gave you, what we can agree on is this, that this grace is received and it is not achieved. It is received and it is not achieved. It is grace. It is unmerited. Just like you received your nature from Adam and then you committed things like your nature, in the same way, as a Christian, you can receive a new nature in Christ. And then your life is transformed. 
in his image. Colossians 1, 12 through 13 speaks of this. I love this passage too. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet. That means acceptable. Just like the, the Bible talks about the, the wife being the help meet for the husband. That means that, that just right, just what was needed. God made us meet, acceptable, just. He gave us everything that we need to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us. I love that word translate. That's another one, the same but different. You translate a language, it's the same, but it's been made different too. In our translation, we are the same. Our emotions, I mean, God created us with emotion. God created us with personality. God gave us all of that. We are the same. But then we are oh so much different because we are no longer under the reign of death and darkness, but we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Because of that, finally, on the back of your notes this morning, you and I are able to enjoy this reign of grace. We can enjoy the reign of grace. Look with me at verse number 18. Verse number 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. Do you see those two competing concepts? The first is, one sinful man brought us under what? Condemnation. But one perfect and righteous man brought us into a state of justification. We've gone from being condemned to being justified. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. We'll get there one of these months too. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'll give you another hymn by Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus is um, in mine, and I in him. Jesus and I, I just totally lost it. Go ahead. Jesus and I in him. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Did I get it? You're unsure. I was looking at you. I just, you were like nodding with me. I thought you were like, okay. Those, those hymns are filled with theology. I mean, just full of it. You, we sit there sometimes, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in right. I mean, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's, he's in verse expounding Romans chapter 5. He is my living head. Charles Wesley must have loved this doctrine because he even put it in one of his Christmas carols. Hark the herald angels sing. Which that's a troubled theology because it doesn't actually say the angels sang. But we'll give him a pass on that one. The hymns aren't inspired. They're close, but they're not there. But in that same song, second Adam from above reinstate us 
in thy love. Second Adam. It's Charles Wesley, the great Methodist hymn writer, one of the fathers of the Methodist church. He must have loved that doctrine because there it appears twice. I will say the same thing. Listen to, just listen to the words of most of the songs that we sing. We sing some very simple ones, but even a lot of the modern songs we are carefully chosen for the doctrinal content because one of the purposes of singing is actually teaching truth. It's to teach truth. And these truths are just, I don't know. I'm, I, get, I, I get excited about this stuff. It's just that God would reveal so much of himself to me. I mean, all I need to know is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. All I need to know is for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's all I need. But God has revealed the riches of his grace to me. God has just, God has just, he just opened the curtain of the cosmos so I could see how he works. And it just kind of gives me chills. And you know what? These are the things that the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. But the Spirit reveals them to us. I'll give you a little personal testimony. When I was young, I really struggled with like assurance of my salvation. Like I don't know if anybody else went through that experience. I, I, I believe that I trusted Christ when I was like four or five years old. But how many of you know like memories are hazy when you're four or five years old? You know what I'm talking about? But I had a Sunday school teacher that, 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 that I believe at that point, in, that was the time in my life where I was led to Christ. But it's a hazy memory. And so all through my childhood, I prayed that sinner's prayer like a dozen times. Oh, Lord, if I wasn't, if I wasn't a Christian before, I'm going to make sure I'm a Christian now. You know, anybody else had a story similar to that? that? You were just like, you struggled with that. Okay, got some head nods out here. I remember in college when God finally gave me assurance. It didn't come through a, really a preacher. It came through the proclamation of truths like this. Because the scriptures say this. The scripture says that the spirit bears witness with what? Our spirit. That we are the sons of God. I remember this one time, this, this evangelist. I've got friends who are evangelists, but sometimes you've got to watch out for those guys. Just saying. This evangelist got up at my college, and he preached this whole message on, you better be sure you're saved. You better make sure you're saved. You think you're saved, but you're not saved. You need to get saved. But you know what he never did in the whole message? He never explained what it really meant to be saved. And so I'm just, you know, 18 years old. Well, no, this was after I dealt with it. Now I'm like 20 years old. I'm just getting irritated with this guy. I'm like, hey, man, you're not helping anybody right now. You're not helping anybody at all. And I remember being in preaching. I remember being in a message as I've struggled with this. And I remember there's no pressure about, you know, this time or this place or anything. It's just a man giving the gospel. I don't know if it was this passage, but it was one like this. Just talking about the glory of the gospel. How God has revealed, kind of like the stuff we're talking about today. That I was, that I was in Adam. 
and I was, and I, and I was lost in Adam, but then there's a greater Adam, that there's Jesus who died and bled for me, and that all I have to do is believe who Jesus is and trust in Him. And you know what's happening in my spirit as I'm hearing the gospel preached? If you're a believer, when you hear the gospel, your heart just leaps and says, yes, that is my hope. Jesus is my salvation. Jesus is my only hope. My hope is in you, Christ. And I don't care if, if it doesn't matter how many times you prayed or what you prayed when you were 5, 10, 15, 20. If your heart right now cries out and says, Jesus, yes, I believed. I don't know when you got saved, but friend, if you believe, that's it right here, right now. With your heart crying out, saying, yes, I believe Jesus. You could be watching this on the video at home. You've maybe come to our church or you've maybe listened. The fact is this, we don't need you to do anything. You don't need to do anything except right now say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm lost in Adam. He was my sinful head. But I believe that Jesus took all my sin, took all my guilt, but then he was my perfect righteousness. And my trust is in him. You call upon that name, the name of Jesus, and you go from condemnation to justification. You go from sinner to saint. It says in verse number uh, 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And be thankful for that. Because the law came to show us just how desperately we need him. Without the law, I could say, well, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. No, 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 you're a sinner. Oh, no, I don't think I'm so bad. And then God gives us the gift, the crushing gift of the law. He says, okay, let me give you ten commandments, how you measuring up. Boy, pretty bad, pretty poorly. Sin is imputed. I count it. I recognize it. The law entered that the offense might abound. Read it with me with all you've got ready. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Much more abound. Much more. Verse 21, this eternal reign of life in Christ, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's a, there's a definitive message for the evil one. There's a definitive message for Satan that you can rage and you can roar and you can be the adversary, but your reign is coming to an end. The reign of death has an expiration date and there is a reign of life eternal. As was put in the book of the Revelation, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, it's speaking of this eternal reign. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants 
shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. That is your kingdom if you have received Christ. Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for I have given you the kingdom. In this world right now, we are a little flock. Some flocks, as in local churches, are bigger. Some flocks are smaller. But in the world, the global church, we are the little flock of Jesus. And the world may look down at us and say, oh, those people, they're so out of date. They're so out of touch. They're on the, quote, wrong side of history. But the problem is, we're on the side of the one who wrote history. And we may be a little flock now, but we are the church triumphant. Jesus says that I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we go out, harmless as doves, wise as serpents, we go out into this world to be children who live of the kingdom. You are a little flock, but live like a kingdom child. I am a sheep following, but I am also a warrior of the living God. I could just preach the message all over again, so I'm just going to end right there. Question is this. Whose reign are you under? If you've never answered that question, you need to receive Christ as your Savior. And then believer, if you have received Christ, live as part of his kingdom. Please, heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to prayer. As we conclude, and we come with this response to the message, I always ask two questions. I've already asked them. That is, first of all, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a moment in your life that you have been saved? If not, do it right now. I invite you right in this moment, you can pray something very simple. Just pray something simple. Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner, but I believe that you died and rose again for me. And I ask you to save me. Will you put your faith in Christ right now? But then the second question is for Christians. Maybe you need to just reset this morning. Maybe you need to walk out of this door today realizing that Christ has accomplished everything, that you are secure in Him. Maybe you've let the pull of the world influence you. And you forget whose kingdom you really belong to. Would you settle that in your heart right now? Ask the, the, the piano to softly play. We go to a time of prayer and then and then Aaron will conclude that prayer time and lead us in prayer. But just spend a moment with the Lord to settle this truth in your heart.
thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the free gift of justification that you've offered us, that you've given us your righteousness and your grace. And Lord, your grace reached down to us and pulled us from the raging sea. Lord, and we were lost. We were on our own without, without Christ and without hope in this world. Yet, you sent Jesus to save us. Lord, and you've given us your gift of grace. Father, for those of us in this room who have put our faith and trust in you, we pray, God, that we would live in that grace, that each and every day, Lord, we would be gracious to others. Lord, that our lives would be evidenced by the grace that you've given. Father, we pray if there's someone here that has never put their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you and you alone. Maybe, Lord, someone in here is struggling with assurance of their salvation. We pray that they would take care of that this morning or that they would realize that it is just putting their faith in you and nothing added, no works of righteousness that we could do. As we read this morning before we started, it's by grace that we're saved. It's not of our works. Father, help us to live in the grace that you've given. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Dear Lord, uh, man, what a Sunday. Thank you for meeting us here today. We sure do love you. And we sure do worship you because you're the God of all gods. We love you. And Lord, we just thank you for meeting us here. Lord, this, you can't say enough about meeting, meeting us here today. Lord, I pray that anybody who hears would have listened to the words of the preacher and, and Aaron as he spoke. Know the Lord. Ask the Lord in your life. Uh, ask him in your heart. Get saved today. It's the, it's, it, uh, it's the best thing you can do ever. Sure do love you, Lord. Be with us as we go. May we be, we be reminded of this service all through the week. We love you and we thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.